Welcome to Belfast City Vineyard, where we are pursuing formation in the presence of Jesus, community gathered around him, and the impact he empowers us to bring in our families, city, and the world. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. For more information, visit our website at BelfastCityVineyard.com. Well, welcome. It is great to be with you. My name's Andy, part of the team here, and a joy to be with you this morning. I am going to help us move on in our sermon series on the Gospel of Mark. And for the last two weeks, we've been kicking things off. We started with what even is a gospel anyway, and then last week we did an introduction to the Gospel of Mark, and today we're just going to let Mark speak for himself and start with chapter 1, verse 1. Over this sermon series, you are going to hear from a variety of preachers, uh, all people who are part of our church community, people you rub shoulders with. You get to see their lives up close, serve alongside them in different things. They're just people who are like you, trying to follow Jesus in this complex world. And I am really super excited about having a bigger team to help us preach through this gospel as we in community study God's Word together. I just think that's a really healthy mark of a local church, that it isn't just one person preaching, it's lots of different voices preaching and teaching about the scriptures and able to do that. So please encourage people you see who are preaching, who maybe don't normally preach, who are growing in their gift of preaching, don't do it as often. So just really, let's just be a really encouraging church through this series. So today, as I said, we're going to spend time in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. And let's get going. Uh, for the, from the first line, Mark's gospel just takes off at a sprint and then doesn't slow down. Uh, writings in the ancient world, uh, certainly biographies in the ancient world, opened either with like a formal dedication uh, to someone who sponsored the work that tells why it was written, and like Luke's gospel starts off that way, or they would have started off like Mark, where the first line is like a subject or topic sentence of the whole work. And that's what happens with Mark chapter 1, verse 1. It's a really important line. And it says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And it's a key to understanding the whole work. And I want to spend some time on just this one verse. The first word is beginning. If you looked in the original Greek, it just starts off with beginning. And there's actually four books of the Bible, uh, Genesis, Hosea, John, and Mark, that all begin with the word beginning. Uh, and Mark probably wants us to think of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, and, and it's about beginnings, and this beginning is about Jesus, and it's like an important announcement. It's just as an important announcement as Genesis 1, verse 1. That's what he's kind of saying with this. So at the beginning, uh, it, it's the beginning of the good news and the gospel of Jesus. Theologian called James Edwards says this, For Mark, the introduction of Jesus is no less momentous than the creation for the world. For in Jesus, a new creation is at hand. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the, the, at length about the word gospel or announcement of good news. And, and we kind of broke that word down. You can catch up with that. Um, but the prophet Isaiah talks about good news often. You can see in Isaiah 52 verse 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news or bring a gospel. 
of good news. Verse, uh, chapter 61, verse 1, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news, or euangelion in Greek, or the, a, a, an announcement of good news, a gospel. And by, ins ins by using this word, he's signaling that Jesus is the beginning of the fulfillment of the good news prophesied by Isaiah. And already in the first two words of Mark, we've got Old Testament references coming thick and fast at us. So it's the beginning, and it's a gospel or announcement of good news. But good news about what and who's beginning? Well, Jesus. That's the next word, Jesus. It's his gospel. It's the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus, but the gospel also is Jesus. The gospel is a person, and this book is his story. And when we talk about like sharing the gospel with someone, we usually mean sharing information and an invitation, right? We mean sharing good news. We, we mean sharing that Jesus is God's son. He came and he, he went to a cross to defeat sin, death, and the enemy. And on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sins and he rose again. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father now and forever. And we are saved forever through faith in the risen Jesus, and we can worship and know him now and be forgiven and made whole and live life in his kingdom. And that's, we share the gospel about Jesus with people, and that's all true, and that's all right, and that's good, and we should do that in lots of different uh, creative ways, and we should invite people to respond to sharing the gospel. But Mark is saying this whole book is the gospel, and Jesus, God's Son, is the gospel and here is his story this is the good news appearing in person and that's why we here in the vineyard insist so much about talking about jesus following jesus being in deep life-changing friendship with jesus worshiping jesus we don't just want you to know things about jesus information about jesus we want to you to actually know jesus the good news of god well, it goes on to say Jesus is called Christ, and that's not Jesus' last name, it's a title. And if the Bible is new for you, or it just, you know, even if you've been a Christian for a long time, it just feels like so much insider talk, don't worry about that. There's no judgment. We've got loads of resources to help you, and it just means there's a lifetime of wonderful study and learning ahead uh, as you just slowly study, think about, read the Bible, and just dig into its endless, endless treasures. So Christ isn't Jesus' last name, it's a title. And the word Christos in Greek, it's a Greek translation, and the New Testament was written in ancient Greek. Christos is a Greek word, it's a translation of the Hebrew Mashiach or Messiah. And so Christos or Christ means Messiah. Jesus the Messiah is a translation of Jesus Christ. And Messiah in Hebrew simply means anointed one. And Jews in Jesus' day were eagerly awaiting a Messiah, God's anointed royal figure who would appear and bring God's rule and reign to the earth. And this Messiah would deliver Israel from all their enemies and oppressors. And the people were waiting for this. And by Jesus' day, it had reached fever pitch. They were expecting a Messiah who would come and deliver the people from occupation and humiliation that the Romans had brought to them and deliver them from the corrupt religious establishment of Herod, king of the Jews. And they expected a strong man to set up a kingdom by force, like all the other rulers they had seen uh, through, all, through all the ages. And Mark presents Jesus as a Messiah who exposes false hopes 
and selfish expectations, a Messiah who will bring God's kingdom to the ends of the earth, but through suffering, death on a cross, and his resurrection. A Messiah who invites all of us to follow him on that road and to pick up our own cross. So Mark goes even further. He doesn't just call Jesus Messiah or Christ. He calls Jesus the Son of God. And Son of God is another theme for Mark. That title pops up an awful lot. He wants you to notice and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It appears at his baptism, at his transfiguration, at the crucifixion. Demons shout out the title when Jesus turns up in their presence. At his trial before the high priest, it comes up. Mark wants you to wrestle with this. Who is Jesus? Is he just a great example to us? Is he just a great moral teacher? Is he, you know, someone to aspire to as a good example, but not to fear and worship and follow? by placing your faith in him, well, we would say, no, he is God's son. Will you respond to him by surrendering your life and following him, by placing your faith in him? This first verse is a confession of faith. It's a bold declaration. It's like throwing a gauntlet down. I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago that the Gospels are like an announcement. They're not advice. They're an announcement that you must deal with and reckon with. And that's how Mark starts off, by declaring that Jesus is the promised Messiah and Son of God. And this book is his story. This is what you need to know about him to decide for yourself. He wants us to wrestle with Jesus. And if you are wrestling with Jesus and you're thinking about Jesus and you're thinking about following him for the first time, Mark is for you. And also, many of you have shared with me that right now things are really, really hard. You've been following Jesus for a long time. You feel like you know him really, really well, but there's just circumstances that you're in and there's trials that you're going through and there's really painful things in your life right now. And Jesus feels really distant. And because of that pain, things things feel really separated. Well, I believe and I'm praying that through studying the Gospel of Mark, we are going to have a fresh revelation of Jesus, God's Son, our Savior and Messiah. And for those of you that are in that position, would you take heart this morning? Would you begin to ask, well, what do you need saving from? Is it sin that you're stuck in? Is it shame that's all over your life? Is it brokenness that you're currently experiencing? What do you need led through by a Messiah, a King? What do you need led through by Jesus? Is it suffering that you need led through? Is it grief? Is it huge changes in your life right now? Is it impossible situations that you, and impossible problems that you feel you're facing and must solve? You know, Jesus isn't our Savior and Lord in a general sense. We get to name the things that are in our life that we need to be saved from and that we need led through. And I believe that those of you in this position in a real, are going to experience him afresh in a real raw and intimate way as you name what you need to be saved from, as you name what you need to be led through, and he will meet you. It'll, it should frame your intercessions and your cries and your prayers in this season. And I feel like as we do that, as we are vulnerable and we name things before the Lord, you will feel your life return to your bones as we are at the beginning of his story. And Mark is going to lead us in this journey of who is Jesus. We are going to meet him and experience him afresh and his salvation and his deliverance. Let's talk about a voice crying 
in the wilderness. After this amazing opening statement, Mark goes straight into a quote from the Old Testament saying, as it was written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, these uh, verses are actually a combination of three different Old Testament passages. Verse 2 is a combination of Exodus chapter 23, verse 20, and Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And then verse 3 of Mark chapter 1 is Isaiah 40, verse 3. Now, Mark hasn't made a mistake by only mentioning Isaiah. He's just using a common practice of Jewish rabbis of the time when they, talked, when they would talk about a few different passages of scripture that they're making connections with, they would combine them and name only the most important or prominent quotation. And in this case, it's definitely Isaiah who is considered the greatest of the prophets. So it's not an oversight from Mark or a mistake from Mark or proof that the gospels are corrupt. It's just a technique and, uh, uh, of the, from the day in which he was writing. So right away, Mark is showing us that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament points to and promises, that one day God will deliver his people and he will dwell with them. And that that promise is fulfilled in Jesus. And both the Malachi passages and the Isaiah passages would have been associated in the day of Jesus with the prophet Elijah from the Old Testament, who, if you remember from Sunday school, was caught up in the chariot of fire and taken directly up into heaven. Elijah is also associated with the wilderness. When it starts to talk about a voice crying in the wilderness, Isaiah is associated, his ministry is associated with the wilderness. And in Malachi chapter 4, Verse 5, Malachi prophesies, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. He prophesied that before God came to dwell with his people again, before God moved in power again, he would send Elijah, or one like Elijah, to prepare the way. So the people were eagerly looking for God's coming and were watching for an Elijah to prepare the way. And with these passages, Mark's telling us that everything the Old Testament promised and prophesied about is found in Jesus. And Mark is also doing something quite subtle, but really sophisticated. Beginning, he's beginning a new theme, the theme of journey in the gospel. We talked about that last week, that journey is one of the themes of Mark's gospel. And he's just beginning to weave that in right away. The language of these quotations, they mentioned the way of the Lord a couple of times, the path of the Lord a couple of times. And it's beginning to introduce this idea of motion or journey on the way, on the path of the Lord. Again, theologian Edwards, uh, James Edwards says, from the outset, the story of Jesus directs here is not to metaphysics and mysticism, nor to ethical rules and systems, but to something practical and transforming, a way of salvation made possible by God. In Mark, the way of God is ultimately the way of Jesus to the cross. In John's Gospel, Jesus tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. The early church were called the people of the way, the way of Jesus. They would take on the way of Jesus. The way of the Lord is the way of salvation, and the paths of the Lord and Mark will lead Jesus to the cross. See, we follow Jesus by taking on his way, by taking on his life, his, the way he did life, his way, his kingdom. It's not obedience to a list of rules. Um, salvation and following him in his way, the way of formation, healing, hope, and holiness, 
as he leads us. Are you on the way as a disciple? Are you following the way of Jesus? Are you on your journey on the way? Are you in motion following Jesus? Have you encountered the cross of Jesus and then picked up your own cross to be on the way of Jesus? My sense is today that there's just a number of us, we don't want to pick our own cross up and we don't want to take on the way of Jesus. We don't want to go all in on faith in Jesus because we're afraid we'll be seen as wacky or a nut or it'll just be too costly. Uh, But Jesus, your Savior, our hope, our friend, stands before you this morning and says, pick up your cross and follow me on the way. Take on my way. Go on my journey and you will find rest for your souls. And I just have a sense that we won't be at rest. Those of us that are really wrestling with this, we have like this constant like niggle or a splinter in our mind and we won't be able to rest until we surrender fully to Jesus. And when we do, we will find more rest and freedom than we have ever known. And at the end, I'm going to pray for you. Well, in verses four to five, we're introduced to the voice crying out in the wilderness. Who is this voice? Well, he's John the Baptist. Uh, Mark gives uh, only a very few details about him. Again, Mark's narrative is really compressed. It's really intense. And he just doesn't bother with a lot of bystanders. He just gets straight to the life and ministry of Jesus. So he says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the river Jordan. So John's out in the wilderness and he was a phenomenon. He had a fiery message. He was telling people to repent of sin and then he would baptize them in the Jordan River. And crowds came out of Jerusalem and from surrounding area in their droves to hear him and be baptized and respond. They responded to his message, but also his proclamation that he, that someone is coming. He is coming. That people should not just confess your sin, but do so in preparation to meet with the living God. The wilderness in the Bible is a place of testing, but it's also a place of grace and repentance and deliverance and where people meet with God. So John's voice crying out in the wilderness is a place where people could get right and prepare to meet with the living God. And maybe you feel this morning like God has you in a wilderness and that that's like actually bad news and you want to be released from the wilderness. And we've often talked about the pandemic as a wilderness time. But maybe being in the wilderness is good news, not bad news. Wilderness might be the place of real encounter and grace to you as you seek God's face and as you get to drop some things that you were never meant to carry and to experience renewal and preparation from God's next thing. And what if instead of asking, God, where are you and will you let me out of this? What if we began to ask, God, what do you have for me here in the wilderness? What do I need to let go of? What needs to stay in the wilderness as I leave? What do I need to repent of? What do I need to receive from you? What do I need to get from you that I can't receive in the hustle and busyness of life? And that's what John was saying to the crowds, to the religious elite that came out of the city, that came out of Jerusalem. He said, come out of your normal routine. Come to the wilderness. Break your plans. Abandon your comforts. Come out to the wilderness to meet with God and prepare to meet with him by confessing your sin. You know, one of the ways we prepare for a move of God and for more of Him 
and for deeper encounter with him is by confessing sin and repenting. And we all have things that we need to confess and that we need to repent of. My sense is it's a new season for our church. It's a new season for so many of us here in our community in lots of different ways. And my sense is if we want more of God, we're going to need to confess sin. We're going to need to confess some things that are in the way. When is the last time you confessed sin before the Lord and practice repentance, which is simply turning around, leaving things behind, confessing them, and then going the other direction. One of the huge things, my sense is, is that in the pandemic, it's apathy. It just drove us down. It ground us down into cycles of apathy and just not caring about the things of the Lord, allowing ourselves to have idols set up of distraction, uh, and we needed, we just turned to them to get us through rather than turning to Jesus. And now when it's time to emerge, we're apathetic, we're hopeless, we're, we're down. My sense is it's a time of repentance. It's a time of confession and preparing for encounter with the God, preparing for a new season in his presence. Mark chapter 1 verse 6 tells us about um, John the Baptist's clothes and his diet. Uh, it says he had a leather belt around his waist. He had clothing made of camel's hair, and he ate locusts and wild honey. What on earth is going on there? Well, it's Mark, again, highlighting this fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. John is the promised Elijah that we spoke of earlier, sent to prepare the way of the Lord. He would have dressed this way on purpose. We see in 2 Kings chapter 1 about... Uh, the king asking, what kind of man who came to meet you and told you a prophecy? And the people replied, he had a garment of hair and had a leather belt around his waist. And the king said, that was Elijah, the Tishbite. So the people knew, like when John put on this type of outfit, they knew what he was saying. He's saying, I am the Elijah. I am the forerunner. God is coming. John's message was God himself is coming among you. You must get ready. And even though the crowds were gathering around John and confessing and being baptized, and John was like a phenomenon. Verse 7 shows us John's focus. He was always pointing towards the one who is coming, who is more powerful than he is. He, he always got the spotlight off of himself, and he makes it clear that the one who's coming is way more powerful than he is and vastly more important. And John says he isn't worthy to even untie his sandals. Well, the section closes with John declaring how he baptizes with water, but the one who is coming will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And the prophets promised in the Old Testament that one day God would dwell with his people. He'd put his spirit upon his people, even into their very hearts. It wouldn't be, you need to go to the temple to be with God. God would be with the people in their very hearts by his spirit. And the New Testament tells us that the Holy Spirit, God's personal presence, the third person of the Trinity, is sent upon the church, the, the, those who put their faith and hope in Jesus, to revive them, to strengthen them, to dwell within them, and to empower them, to empower them to follow Jesus and love God, to empower them to serve the world. And the Holy Spirit is God's gift to his people, and he is present with us now by his Spirit. And the one that John points to will come not only in power, but with the gift of the Holy Spirit for all that will come to him in faith. So John cries out, God is coming, and he is bringing his spirit with, her, with him. He is the spirit bestower. Prepare for his coming. And then the very next person that we are introduced to is Jesus of Nazareth, the one who Mark proclaims as Messiah, Son of God and Lord 
of the world. And we'll begin with Jesus' baptism next week. But I want to end our time with this. You know, the first words of, of Mark's gospel, Mark 1, verse 1, are the beginning, right? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus. And if you skip to chapter 16, at first glance, it doesn't really look like Mark actually has an ending. Uh, it just kind of stops at verse 8 of chapter 16. You have an angel uh, saying to the women who were the first to arrive at the empty tomb, the angel says, go tell his disciples and Peter that Jesus, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. And it's in it's verse 8, it's trembling and bewildered. The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And, and that's how it ends, right? Um, you know, go tell Peter, don't be afraid. And we have the women leaving frightened. And it just leaves us kind of on edge. Like, what happens? Now, in your Bible, you'll probably see verses 9 to 20 then, but you'll see it by, either in italics or somehow highlighted. And it will say in like a note or a footnote or something that these verses don't appear in the earliest manuscripts we have of Mark, so they were probably added later. It's fine to read them, it's fine to think about them, uh, but they were added in later. So the true ending of Mark is this kind of cliff edge. Will the women go tell Peter? Will they, or will they run away in fear? And what is going to happen? So we, it feels like when you read Mark's gospel all the way through that we have a beginning but not an ending. But many scholars, and I would agree with them, think that Mark ended on this uncertain cliff edge, uh, not because he just forgot to put an ending on it or, or was a bad writer or something like that. He did it to invite us into the story of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. There isn't an ending to the story because it isn't over yet. And Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8 showed us this beginning. Mark's robust claim that Jesus is Messiah and the Son of God, the fulfillment of prophecy, the one who the voice crying in the wilderness prepares the way for, the one who we are to prepare for, the one who will journey on the way to a cross and in so doing open up a way for us to follow him and receive salvation and hope and healing forever with him in his kingdom. And we'll also receive the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. In other words, Mark is saying, here is the beginning you are invited to be part of. And it isn't over yet. Pick up your cross today and follow the way of Jesus in faith. Believe in his name and find life. Receive the spirit of the living God to serve him and to work wonders of love and mercy in his name. And go and join with Mark in proclaiming the good news about Jesus. So will we proclaim it or will we run in fear? Will we receive the Spirit and follow the way of Jesus and be part of the rest of the story? And just as I close, I want to pray for us. And again, my sense is that uh, some of us, we just don't want to pick up our cross and fully surrender to Jesus. Um, and we're just afraid. But I just have this sense that you will never know greater peace, an easier yoke than going all in in faith in Jesus. And just this Holy Spirit has been working on you and it's time. It's time to give your life to Him fully. Others of you, you're just, it, you need to confess sin. You're at that point in the wilderness and you felt like, oh my gosh, I couldn't ever do that. But it's actually a preparation to remove some obstacles for the next stage in your journey with the Lord. I also had a sense that there's at least somebody here stuck in a real pattern of sin. Like you're really caught in something and 
You feel like you can't get out. You can't tell the truth about you. You can't confess it, but you're also just being taken apart by it. You're running from God. You're running from the truth and you're running from people. And my urgent, my urgent plea to you this morning is to confess your sin and be forgiven and be made right before the Lord and begin the journey of being made right with people that maybe um, difficult things have happened with. Uh, but step forward today and step into that place of preparation and cleansing and healing and wholeness. So Holy Spirit, would you come upon the men and women of the vineyard? I pray that your anointing would fall. As Jesus is the Spirit bestower, we ask that you would pour out your Spirit on us as we're on this journey in Mark. I pray you would call men and women today to give their lives fully to you, Jesus. So if anyone's on a fence right now, Lord, would you embrace them into life with you in full surrender? And we pray for those where, where we, for all of us, Lord, would we, we confess our sin before you. We confess how we have offended you and others in thought, word, and deed. We confess what we've done and what we've left undone, Lord. Heal us, forgive us. We want pure, hand, pure hearts and clean hands before you. We, would you prepare us to meet with you afresh with this season in the Gospel of Mark, in this new-to-us building, be times of empowering and encounter and incredible blessing. We worship you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.